Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stress and distressed, restructuring and post-reorg in the European and CMA markets. It's Tuesday, August the 22nd, and I'm Katerina Dassier. And I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, we will discuss Ukrainian commodity producer Kernel, which is working to reduce debt after it unveiled its latest assessment of the war-related damages to its assets. Then we will delve into the UK high street as a number of retailers scramble to avoid liquidation. But first, we will assess the impact of negative headlines over alleged corruption, tax fraud and money laundering at Altice International's Portuguese subsidiary is having on the wider group. Hi Rob, Altice has been making headlines recently amid fraud and corruption allegations at its Portugal unit. But the real concerns seem to be over the French business. What has been happening in the telco conglomerate? Hi Kat. Earlier this month, news broke over Altice Europe's co-founder, Armando Pereira, being detained in Portugal as part of an investigation into alleged corruption, tax fraud and money laundering. It triggered an almost five-point sell-off in parent Altice International's bonds, as well as in sister company Altice France's bonds. The debt in both companies has since recovered as investors realised that Altice was likely the victim of any potential wrongdoing and was not planning to restate any earnings. But the volatility in the debt prices did shift the focus back to Altice France's looming capital structure, prompting founder Patrick Drahi to promise investors that he'll do whatever it takes, invoking former ECB president Mario Draghi's seminal speech when he promised to support the euro at the height of the eurozone sovereign debt crisis. Sounds pretty dramatic. How bad is the situation at Altice France? On the face of it, not that bad. Altice France is somewhat overlevered at around six times and is free cash flow negative, after having underperformed for some time as a result of the highly competitive French telco market. But it is guiding to a return to top-line growth in the fourth quarter, while its heavy investment period to develop its fibre network is slowly coming to an end, which should enable it to get back into the black in terms of cash generation sometime next year. The problem is the group's maturity wall. It has roughly 2.9 billion of secured debt maturing in the next three years. While the secured debt does not trade that far off par, and as such should be refinanceable in theory, no investor would be willing to roll into new secured loans or bonds, given the volume of the group's unsecured debt that starts coming due in 2027. Altice France has over 20 billion of debt maturing between 2027 and 2029, most of which is unsecured. To ease some of the concerns of Altice France's capital structure, Drahi explicitly committed to delever the group by one turn over the next 12 months through a mix of asset sales, discounted debt buybacks and shareholder support, and reaffirmed the group's 4.5 times net leverage medium target. Oh, that sounds encouraging. Did it ease the concerns over the refinancing risks? Yes, somewhat, but it's far from straightforward. Reducing leverage by one turn would require a debt reduction of around 4 billion. Altice France is planning to sell its data centers for around 700 million. It still owns around 3,000 towers in France, which it could easily sell as well, potentially raising another 750 million at least. It could also potentially level up its fast-growing Fiber XP business to extract some cash, although this could be tricky in the short term. And it still owns media assets worth around 1 billion, although the company had ruled out selling these for the time being. That suggests it can potentially raise 2.5 to 3 billion at best from internal means. With Altice France's subs trading in a 40 to 50 range, it can also delever through discounted buybacks. But given that it needs around 3 billion of cash to clear its 2025 and 2026 maturities, 
it will unlikely be able to use internal cash for buybacks, so will remain dependent on Drahi, who owns 90% of the group for support. Drahi owns a number of assets that he can potentially monetize, including 90% of Altice International, Auction House Sotheby's, and a 25% stake in UK Telco BT, either through dividends or partial or full sales. With Altice France over six times levered and likely worth only around a five times EV multiple, some questioned whether he would be willing to put a new money into the company. However, many investors believe that since Altice France is Dry's biggest asset, as well as the first major telco he ever owned, he won't let it fail, especially after having made his public commitment to the company on the investor call. And given his ownership of Altice International and BT, he can't afford to alienate the bond market. So Rob, where does that leave investors? The consensus is that the secured debt is covered, so some long-only funds have sold out of Altice France's unsecured debt, but remain holders of the secured debt. And some hedge funds have been buying the long-dated secured bonds, which trade in the 70s. In theory, the unsecured debt offers a lot of potential upside if dry comes through, but there is still a huge amount of execution risk, given the sheer quantum of Altice France's debt. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey in the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. We're now a year and a half into Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine and Kiev's troops are slowly making advances to retake villages in the south of the country, according to the latest reports. For Ukraine's largest companies, the war has meant that even very strong export businesses can't access the international capital markets. But that may be about to change. I'm now joined by Magnus Sherman, senior editor here in London. And Magnus, can you tell us more? Yes, absolutely. This is Colonel, uh, a grain and uh, vegetable oil producer in Ukraine. It's been significantly affected by the decision from Russia to withdraw from the Black Sea uh, Grain uh, Initiative. And it has also, unfortunately for it, been been targeted uh, in the Russian bombing campaign that started after that decision in July. Uh, in a recent update issued last week, uh, Colonel said that infrastructure in three different locations, both on the Black Sea coast, uh, inland and on the Danube River, have been, have been destroyed. And um, the initial assessment on how much it'll cost to repair is around $20 million dollars. And on top of that, you have around $12 million worth of, of lost commodities that were damaged when these bombs hit um, since, since July. Um, it's also worth saying that the uh, new money here will be used to reduce the amount of bank debt the company has. It has a total of around $900 million of bank line, banking lines. Um, and the, the new money will be used as part of a larger agreement with the lenders to get a new um, waiver extension uh, across the line all the way to June 30th, 2024. The company had a an agreement in place that lapsed at the end of June this year. And in the interim, they've had these um, in principle agreements and temporary standstill with the lenders to avoid any defaults. But this new money uh, of $60 million will be, uh, will be used to, um, to get that uh, arrangement across the line 
and the new money is is targeted at uh, the existing shareholder base at Kernel, which m- is mostly uh, its founder and chairman, Andrei Varevsky. There was a little bit of controversy around this earlier in the year in April and May, because he uh, first launched a tender offer for the shares, which is, uh, I guess, quite normal. And um, people who wanted to sell, they sold. And um, he then also decided to delist the company from the Warsaw Stock Exchange once he had um, he had uh, built his his larger position, which is now at seventy four percent. That decision to take the shares off the Warsaw Stock Exchange was not very popular with everyone, and there was a group of of minority shareholders who actually tried to um, block that. Um, they were sort of arguing that they needed to be consulted on this and. Uh, complaining that Verevsky was was acting just on his own um, and not really and, and and really sort of ignoring their needs uh, and wishes. So um, this is a opportunity for those minority shareholders to put put some some money behind um, their their commitment to the company. And as I said, this will be up to um, sixty million dollars uh, that will um, that will be raised. The money is, of course, one to um, to to pay down debt, but it's also because the company has all these these added expenses related to the war. On top of the damage I mentioned earlier, they also uh, they're investing in alternative export routes, especially on the Danube River, which also, of course, requires quite a lot of investment. Um, the Danube River is now being used as an alternative, while the Black Sea route is um, is is too dangerous to use for um, for for grain exports um, globally. So um, so Kernel is also investing heavily in uh, in that in those assets down there. And then I think finally it's it's important to note for our our readership that Colonel has a 2024 eurobond 300 million dollars paying six and a half percent, which um, of course matures next next year. The bond is quoted around 70 cents on the dollar, and uh, the expectation from sources that we are speaking to is that the company will will sort of copy what they're doing with the banks, ask for a short-term extension of the maturity um, closer to the maturity date. And, you know, fingers crossed the, may, the war may be over, but in the case it isn't, um, that's the assumption for now. Um, a, uh, a competitor or a, a peer to Colonel MHP uh, is in a, in a quite a similar position. It also has a 2024 bond um, and that's a quite uh, larger. It's around $500 million due in, in March. So um, a lot of people looking at Ukraine are following these two companies to see what they'll do with the, um, with the euro bonds. But first for Colonel, there's this, uh, this new money injection, which uh, we're expecting uh, in the coming weeks. In the past few weeks, we have had a number of stories about high street retailers in the UK struggling financially, as their businesses are impacted by inflation and customers cutting back on discretionary spending. And here today with Connor, who has been covering this situation closely. Welcome to the podcast, Connor. Could you tell us more? Thanks, Kat. So this month, a 100-year-old retailer, Wilco, became the latest casualty in the UK high street when it collapsed into administration. This is a tried and tested insolvency process for ailing retailers and others. Another topical situation is greetings card retailer Clinton's, which plans to close some of its stores and do a debt-for-equity swap to avoid insolvency. 
These updates come on the back of some pretty bad data. In July, the number of UK administrations jumped 53% year over year to 124. One leading insolvency barrister thinks the process is in danger of developing into just another form of liquidation. But there are signs that a rescue culture is taking hold among some middle market retailers, right? Absolutely. So Clinton's, which was uh, has been bought out of administration twice before, is the most recent high street name seeking to avoid insolvency by using what's called a Part 26A restructuring plan. This is an expensive court-led process that appears to be coming viable or more viable for small and medium-sized enterprises. The whole point of the process is to preserve value and jobs by restructuring a company before it becomes insolvent. Although the sums involved in Clinton's proposed restructuring are quite modest, Clinton's barrister explained that schemes of arrangement and their cousin, the restructuring plan, should not be restricted to just the largest companies. He added that recently the court has encouraged mid-market transactions by high street SMEs such as Prezzo and Fitness First, and these were used to cram down landlords and local authorities and other non-critical creditors. High street retailers share common problems, so viable alternatives to insolvency are sorely needed. Interest and energy costs have risen in the past 12 months, and before this, increased online competition and COVID-19 resulted in structural changes to consumer behaviour. As a result, business rates charged by local governments and rent charged by landlords, to take two examples, have often become unaffordable. And for Wilco, which has already entered administration, how is that going? Well, in the case of Wilco, it's administrators who are from PwC in this case. Um, they've said the group have, has received expressions from parties um, that are considering taking over at least some parts of the business rather than the whole thing. Um, PwC have asked interested parties to submit initial offers um, by last Wednesday, so that's uh, August 16th, and we expect to be updated on that process soon. Thank you, Connor. Thank you very much. Join Reorg, which will moderate the panels Why Every Mid-Market CFO Needs to Know About a Debt Fund and What Does the Dominance of Direct Lending Mean for the Markets at the second annual IPIM event in Paris on September 20th. Visit the events and webinars page at reorg.com for more information. Also join Reorg's private credit breakfast event at the Biltmore on October 12th. Watch out for more info and contact marketing at reorg.com. Join thousands of industry professionals using ESGX by Reorg to address regulatory reporting and underwrite investments with ESG. Request a trial at reorg.com or contact sales at reorg.com for more information. Further details on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening. 